Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our text this morning is from the Gospel lesson from St. Luke's account, the 12th chapter. I read again the concluding verses. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and things you have prepared for yourself, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. There are probably a lot of ideas and conceptions people have when they're speaking about someone being a fool. Isn't it strange, though, how Christians versus the rest of the world often see and interpret these very same things so differently? When most people hear the term rich fool, they might imagine a spoiled young heir who has wastefully squandered the fortune that his enterprising ancestors has accumulated. Perhaps they might think of someone who has lucked into winning the lottery and then blew all of that money with a few years of frivolous spending. Today's gospel lesson within the church, however, is known as the parable of the rich fool. Far from being a frivolous spender, though, this man carefully guards his wealth. He seeks to protect it from risk, and he wants to use it cautiously to provide a comfortable lifestyle for years and years to come. Now, to many people, that is an indication of wisdom and a sign of shrewdness. It's an admirable example of planning and self-discipline. But ponder a couple of questions, if you will, as we reflect on today's gospel lesson. First, from whom or from what is the rich man protecting his wealth, and why? And second, for whose comfort and whose enjoyment is it being stored up? As you do this, however, let's contemplate for a moment and look back about how this parable came about. Just prior to this text, Jesus had been speaking to his disciples. He is warning them of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. And he's telling them to have courage in their future work for his kingdom. He tells them that they do not need to fear the powers of this earth in their lifetimes. But instead, they can trust that their faith in him will bring them eternal rewards. And in the midst of this important teaching about the spiritual life... A man in the crowd interjects with a plainly worldly worry. Unwilling to accept the Jewish law that the elder son in the family receives a double portion of the family estate, the man wants Jesus to intervene. He wants Jesus to instruct his brother to divide the inheritance in a manner that is more suitable to the man's wishes. In other words, he wants Jesus to serve him, not to save him. Jesus replies quite bluntly, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? In doing this, Jesus speaks a subtle but very important truth within that rhetorical question with which he answers. And that truth is he has not been appointed a judge between men, but rather as the judge over men. 
the judge of all men, as he has been granted that authority by the Father. He had certainly not come to settle the petty disputes of this earthly life. In fact, Jesus had actually come to divide houses and to separate families, those who had not come to agree upon who he is and what he has done. And so Jesus proceeds to instruct the crowd regarding the dangers of the greed that this man had demonstrated. He points out that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How often we forget this in our materialistic world, huh? We often confuse our life with our lifestyle. We say life is good when we have a steady job, plentiful food, a comfortable place to live, good relationships with others and lots of possessions and conveniences. On the other hand, when we might face unemployment, are short of money and down on our luck, when we are in conflict with our family and our friends, we often claim that our life is going poorly at that time. But is it really our life that is going poorly? Or is it our attitude about our current lifestyle? Have we really been handed a raw deal? Or are we overlooking the precious gifts that God has actually given us? Jesus begins, The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. That is, it was not the man's own abilities or his labors which were fruitful. It was the earth itself. It was God's own creation which yielded its bounty. And isn't that always the case? In giving and preserving life both now and eternally, it is always God's initiative. It is God's toil. It is God's overcoming difficulties that provides us with our blessings. We can no more overcome our own sin and death than the rich man could make the seeds in his field sprout and grow. But the rich man does not recognize this. He does not give God glory and thanks for his generous providence of a life-sustaining and wealth-producing crop. He doesn't give any indication that he remembers or acknowledges God at all. Instead, the rich man focuses solely on himself and looks inwardly. Nine times in the next three verses, he uses words like I, myself, and my. What shall I do, he says? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I will store all my grain and my goods. I'll say to myself, like we sometimes do ourselves, the rich man cannot distinguish between his bodily, physical self and his very essence as God's creature, formed in God's image and endowed with an eternal soul. Even the end of this man's internal dialogue is very self-indulgent. The rich man congratulates himself on his good fortune. After all, any interaction with others might require him to consider how his fellow human beings fit into his own plans. They might even ask him to share his plenty with them. No, he had better look out for number one. Hoard his belongings and make life good and take it easy for a good long while. And isn't that everyone's dream? 
Who could find fault with anyone for enjoying the good things that life brings them? Well, it's clear from our text that God finds fault with this approach. While Christians are often called fools for setting aside worldly wealth and power and fame in service to God and others, the Lord instead chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. The seemingly shrewd rich man is not only called a fool by God, he is also called to his death and his reckoning. The ruler of all things shows just how foolish it is to base our security upon ourselves and upon our possessions. What the man says to his own soul and what God says to that soul are radically different things. The man thought that his soul was just another one of his possessions, his own to direct and to control. Yet even this essence of ourselves is always in the very palm of the Creator. As the rich man stored up things for his physical self, he was anything but rich toward God. There are three main points regarding this lesson. First, a reminder that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. Second, that it is God who provides and not we ourselves. And third, we see how this parable instructs us regarding good stewardship of all God's blessings, both the material and the spiritual. In dying to provide us a precious inheritance, Jesus ensured our place in an everlasting household of untold treasure. Unlike most inheritances, however, where the heirs only obtain wealth in the absence of their loved ones, both our Heavenly Father and our God-man brother Jesus will be with us as we enjoy these treasures eternally. Our inheritance, too, unlike that of the man in the crowd, is neither limited nor divisible. We do not need to worry that someone else is going to get a bigger portion or that there won't be enough to go around. The precious blood of Jesus atoned for the sin of everyone in every time and in every place. The number of His elect is uncountable, and each receives a full portion of His abundant love and life. The man who wants Jesus to settle his dispute over the inheritance was just not paying attention. Jesus had just spoken of His authority over the things of this world and teaching His followers that they should have little concern for the world's trials and conflicts and priorities. Our fears are not to be those of physical death or of discomfort about being in times of need in this life, but rather our concern should be about our eternal death, our spiritual death that could happen if we are to be separated from the Lord. The accumulation of wealth may bring favor in the world's eyes, but it jeopardizes our relationship with God. Our confessing and our following Christ always places us in opposition to the world. It risks our life and our livelihood through persecution or prejudice, but it does secure our place with God. Our second point considers God's providence for our daily needs as well as His concern for our eternal life. The rich man could not see his needs beyond the physical. He certainly gave no indication that he recognized his needs were provided for by God. For even before he was blessed with this fine harvest, he is already wealthy. He already has barns fully adequate to support a comfortable lifestyle. And yet to this man's life of plenty, God grants further abundant gifts. 
Not because the man was good, but because God is good. As Luther says, God always prospers both sinner and saint, at least in this earthly life. However, this man's blessing from the hand of God becomes his greatest test. What will he do with his newfound abundance? He fails this test miserably, and his blessing becomes a curse. His possessions become, as Solomon wrote, vanity. Not so much the vanity of conceit, although there is that element, but rather the vanity that his accomplishments are all achieved in vain, in useless efforts. Now, Jesus never denied that people had physical needs. In fact, he often satisfied those very physical needs for food or for healing. He frequently encouraged the sharing of one's wealth or possessions with those who were less fortunate. And yet Jesus knew and taught that our real need is not for food or for housing or for clothing or for medical care. It is for the removal of our sin. Sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what blinds us to the needs of our neighbor. Sin is what leads to only eternal death. Food and money and possessions and all the rest can satisfy you for a time if you're happy to remain fixated on this world. But as Solomon observed further, this satisfaction is fleeting. When illness and age and finally death come upon us, wealth is of little little comfort and it's of even less usefulness. Our third point today is in regard to our stewardship of what the Lord has provided us. Now this consists of far more than just what we place in the offering plate each Sunday or what we have electronically transferred to the church each week. Remember how the rich man had no discussion with anyone else. He never even mentions other people. They were of no concern to him, apparently. In a sense, he had gained the whole world for himself. Yet in the process of doing so, he lost his soul. The world would lament the rich man's end in a way radically different from how we as believers would see it. The world says how sad it is that this man died just when he had reached the top. He had to leave behind all that he had worked for. We know, however, that the real tragedy of the rich man is not what he left behind. God will see to it that the rich man's resources find their way to those who need them. The real tragedy of the rich man, rather, is what lay ahead of him. Eternal separation from God. He lived without God. He died without God, and he will dwell forever apart from God's comfort and care and blessing. He was greatly blessed in his worldly life, yet he did not give thanks or praise to God for his blessings. He received abundantly, but he did not give generously. Contrast this to our, lo- our Lord's own actions toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus praised and thanked his Father for all blessings on a continual basis, even for the simple pleasure of daily bread. He lived in close communion with his Lord, seeking his will in all things and conforming himself to the Father's desires. Begotten as the Son of God, co-eternal and co-equal in all things, He forsook all the power and the riches and the majesty of heaven, and He took on our frail human form so that He might face our temptations, fight our battles, and die our death 
Jesus willingly set aside His rightful place as heir to the kingdom. And God freely gave us His greatest treasure, His dearest possession, the very life of His dear Son for us. What then is a God-pleasing solution to using the abundant blessings He has given us in this world? If His kingdom is not of this world, how do we possess that kingdom while not being possessed by the world? Do we remove ourselves from the world as the medieval monks did? Separating themselves from the trappings of this life as some of the Christian communities do yet today? No, Luther made quite clear on several occasions that we are not placed in this world to serve ourselves or to try to reconcile our lives to God through a life of selfish or visible piety. In fact, we sin in attempting to do so. For we are given our very lives in part so that we might serve others as God's instruments. Even as God graciously serves us with all of the blessings of salvation that we could never earn for ourselves. So how do we avoid the anxiety that comes with having or with not having possessions? How do we overcome the concerns that arise about what our heirs will do with what we have earned and accumulated and gathered? The answer lies in sharing our abundance with others when and where we can. Blessing those who God would bless through us. We are His hands on earth. We have not earned a life of leisure and comfort through our own efforts. We may condemn others, in fact, to the snares of temptation if we provide them such a life rather than giving them first and foremost a legacy of faith and sacrifice. Jesus never endorsed a life of idleness. Nor did He advocate a foolish trust that God will provide us everything without any effort on our part, without using the abilities and the strengths He gives us. For Scripture says that fallen man must eat by the sweat of his brow, and that he who is capable, capable but who will not work should not eat. We enjoy the fruits of our efforts through the providence of God, however. We give Him praise and thanks for His bountiful blessings, the goodness He grants to all of us. We share His blessings with others, and we provide for the furtherance of His kingdom through our physical and our monetary gifts. But first and foremost, let us not fail to make others aware of the blessing that has no equal. Let us share the life-giving Word which we received in baptism, the Word through which the Holy Spirit has granted us faith and keeps us in faith. Let others know the greatest gift, the greatest blessing, and the greatest treasure that we have received. Salvation by grace through faith in the atoning death and the victorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May we live the foolishness that not, does not define our lives by what we have, but by what we are. Chosen and redeemed children of God. May we live the foolishness that tells us that our worth is measured not in what we have earned, but what has been given and sacrificed for us. The life and the precious blood of our Lord and Savior. May God's words to us as we enter His presence for our eternal not be fool, but rather, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.